You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions, or even the answers, are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. Joining me, as always, is my trusted co-host, Ben Triplett. So, Ben, you posed this question, um, and we didn't discuss bringing this up on the air, but we were talking about 80s, like, horror films. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> Horror, quote-unquote. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the movies where you have the teens are out doing something in the woods they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. and they're drinking, and then they run off in the woods to have sex. And those are the ones that always get killed, right? Mm-hmm. So would, would horror films be kind of a moral play? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely, some of those. There's, I, a, there's an ethic to the horror films? I, I can't remember. There's, there's like a documentary that talks about Michael Myers sort of representing like fate and Jason representing moral like punishment or I can't remember the argument, but it was really interesting. I think it was probably reading a little too much into it, but so those are just more creative way, creative like versions of uh, early Christian movies, right? <laughs> so the Christians, yeah, well, it was no, especially like with Christians. I mean, that's, I think the one of the big, biggest things that we have with, with Christian art, if you can call it that, is that it's always really on the nose. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, There's no, no room to think. Yeah, think or interpret. No, we're going to tell you exactly what you need, you know, right? Uh, which is the problem with a lot of the Christian movies. And uh, I never thought about being inspired by the Halloween series. Horror movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In general, I don't yeah. know. Or No Country for Old Men, if you want something a little more recent. But. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's an, that, that, was, that was an interesting one, too. Yeah. Um, but, that, but again, I think that's Co- the Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Okay. Yeah. But they always have like a, some sort of a deep morality going through mm-hmm. that, or or maybe not even morality, but it's like moral questions mm-hmm. um, that characters are confronted with in that nature. Um, yeah, yeah, fascinating stuff. Okay, so today uh, we are going to be talking. This all comes from um, an article that was in the New York Times uh, called "What Religion Would Jesus Belong To?" Now, the title of this. Um, it's a total misnomer. It's not like it's a, it's a red herring for the article, uh, but it did. It turned into clickbait for me. It's by Nicholas Kristoff. Um, and really what I want to use this for is to not really go through it. Like we do a lot of times uh, where, where we're kind of critiquing and using it to talk through, but I want to use a lot of this as just a sounding board um, or some sort of a creative thought space to go through some of the ideas that are being presented here um, in this. And it's far too short of an article for him to have really gone anywhere with it. So I think there's I think there's interesting kind of concepts and ideas that are started, but they're never teased out, um, and they, they, yeah, they never really go anywhere with that. Does that make sense? Yeah? yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, one of the things that I thought one of the fascinating ideas, and so a lot of it is, I mean, he is ending up I think taking certain things from Brian McLaren's new book called The Great Spiritual Migration. Uh, we will not be talking about that book because I have not read the book and I really know nothing about the book uh, aside from what is here in this article, but. Um, th- you know, he was going through here in the article, Kristoff uh, is, um, talking about 
how when we begin to look at different, like especially the different world religions, that you know the founders of these religions are oftentimes uh, they're bold, they're uh, yeah, they're visionaries, they're charismatic, um, and they're they're people that come on to take on something or to kind of come against a system, and like in reference to again, you've got two seminary guys here um, with microphones. You know, and you begin to look at turntables. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're not that cool. No, you actually, you have a turntable, so don't even, don't even say that. That's true. You, it's not, it's not a spinning. Uh, do you don't have? I thought you had a spinning one too. I mean, it works. It's well, I used to, but I didn't use it enough to justify. That okay. is one of my dreams. Okay, it's one of my hopes for my life. You, you were, you were more musically inclined than I, so. Um, Come on. I can be the want want in the situation, but um no. So when we begin to do this, and this is kind of a, it, it, I don't know that there's going to be any answers for all this, but it's I, I I kind of a passion of mine is you begin to look at really the movement that Jesus was starting. Um, it was a movement that was really railing against the establishment, whether it be uh, Rome or whether it be really uh, what Judaism had become at that time. Certain uh, strands, for sure. Certain strands, yeah, okay, yeah. Because he was, uh, or, yeah, I mean, he was kind of a rabbi, so he would have... Sure, he wasn't, he wasn't like, well, with, within those power structures, either the Pharisees or the Sadducees, like, he, mm-hmm. he wasn't getting a whole lot of fans. Let's just say that. Right. Okay. Right. Within that. And again, Rome didn't have a love fest for Jesus either. No. Um, and again, when they you, killed him, so yeah. <laughs> so, but again, when you go around talking about like you know the less than in society mattering, um, and you begin to like to flip a lot of norms kind of upside down, uh, you know, we would say that I, Jesus is probably one of the first feminists in history, mm-hmm. um, and you begin to see that, and then you fast forward two thousand years, and then you look at where we're at now. Again, our context is the. American West, uh, the Western perspective of Christianity, the America. Western flavoring of Christianity. And so, again, when we're speaking this, because I know we have, we have some listeners from the other side of the globe. Um, so, again, I think we, just, we can only speak from our own context. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, I don't know how qualified we are. But, <laughs> but we have microphones. We do. Uh, we have a microphone and you don't. So, suck it. Um, but Sarcasm. No. Please don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Otherwise, it's just two sad people talking. Yeah. Um, Sorry, keep going. No, uh, no. but when you begin to look at it and say, you begin to say, this is, you know, here are the, uh, I guess, well, here, here's a movement that was started that had a firm set of, like, ethics. It had a firm drive to it. Um, it had a firm place where it said, you know, we are... Uh, we're establishing the kingdom, you know, of heaven here on earth. And, um, you know, so it wasn't that, like that Jesus wasn't, I mean, I'm saying he was always crystal clear because he did like to speak in riddles somewhat. Um, but again, you see where it started from and then you look at where we're at today and they seem to be two very different places. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the, like the, one of the teases in the article was, you know, the idea that, you know, would Jesus kind of change? <laughs> like what, what religion would Jesus really want to hang out with today? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I, we've probably said this before, but I've, you know, I've heard this before and there's been books that have been written kind of about this, you know, the idea that if Jesus were to be here today, that exactly the same thing that happened to him 
uh, 2000 years ago, um, pissing off power structures, uh, and eventually getting killed would probably happen again today. Mm -hmm. Um, meaning that the church as it is today would probably not embrace the Messiah that they like to talk about and sing about every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I even wonder, you know, what, in what ways would I miss it? You know, because I mean, we do talk about, uh, Jesus kind of questioning power structures and, but I mean, there was also this side to him where he was very confident, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when he spoke things, it wasn't sort of a, well, let's think about, you know, I mean, he did, did speak in parables and it was, some things were a little confusing and ambiguous, but there were other times where he was very bold. And I know that I would push back against that if I heard someone kind of coming out and claiming certain things. Um, you know, that I w- there's a part of me that would want to push against that. So I even wonder that those of us that are maybe aligned more towards Jesus' subversive side, if we also would be on the, you know, on the um, the anti side, just because not wanting to hear this guy coming along with the answer sort of thing. But that's true. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, if yeah, would we see something that, that was right in plain sight? Of mm-hmm. what's going on, yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I don't have the answer to that. But I think Casting Crowns wrote a song about this, didn't they? I would have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> My guess is no. I just wanted to hear how you react. Okay. <laughs> At first, well, I was like, it was. I was stumbled on two ants. Like one that that anyone would think that I would know of any Casting Crown songs. I th- they did though. They did write. A did song they really do this? Yeah, okay. It was like a Christmas song. It's basically like if Jesus were born again, then you know, everyone would also miss the Messiah or something like that. Aww. Yeah. That, that seems very, Sorry, that, I just that, to that, that seems very bold of them. <laughs> Cause they don't, you know, like a lot of those folks, like they're not like rocking very controversial or very deep, no. uh, deep theology or ideas in the songs they're, they're writing. No, there have to be references to water. Though. <laughs> I did see. Yes. Flooding. Yeah. Lots of water. Sorry. Um, I'm <laughs> off track there a little bit. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, yeah. While we're off yeah. track, can I just mention that? Please I, do. Every once in a while, I try to go back and listen to shows that, you know, people are commenting on and, and that. You really just like hearing yourself. Well, actually, no, that's not where this is going no, at I'm all. Kidding. Because when I hear my voice, I just realize that I kind of sound like a Muppet. I feel like if, <laughs> you know, if it were just my voice and then someone had to create like a body around my voice, okay. it would be very Muppety. Me, me, me. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Anyway. I can't, I, I'll have to start imagining you as, as a Muppet now. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can have Muppets made of us. Any, anyway, I'm way off in left field. No. Sorry, I was just listening to my voice and I'm like, this is surreal. I f- really feel like I should be a Muppet. <laughs> well, goals, life goals. Yeah, you you know, finish OT school, a check, man. become a Muppet. That's next on your list. That's, I'm gonna start. Could you pull off? Could you could you pull off ventriloquism? I tried. Did I you really like really? I was just the yeah. Or was, like was, was it like sock puppet? Or you really had like one of those like little like loser when I was you young. Know. I mean, I did magic tricks and juggled and ventriloquism and all oh my. that awesome stuff that you know, the ladies love that kind of stuff. So did so how how sarcasm. Wait, which is sorry? Did you really have? Oh, you, you're sarcastic. You're sarcastic. No, I really did all that stuff. Oh, okay. The sarcasm okay. was that anyone would be impressed by it. Okay. Well, there's you know, you could you could have grown up and been a carny. That's true. There's still. I mean, that's that's a niche market. 
No, I did. Tr- I did try ventriloquism for a while, though. That's like, what is a while? Like, you know, every kid, like, I think tries it like a little bit. Well, you know, I'm a mile wide and a foot deep, so I mean, probably on and off for a long time. Okay, so like, did you? Li- the li- boy bought the basketball, and having to say that without moving your jaw. Have you tried that? And no. We're like I, way off in left. No, it's okay, but now I'm really sorry. curious about this. Now, did you actually <laughs> did you actually own well, are they, it's just a dummy, right? Is that what you is that what No is, no no I did not own a dummy. Oh okay. No. So it was like puppets. Yeah. Or like your like hand. That. I mean I have finger puppets on my uh refrigerator right now. So Yes, but they don't their mouth doesn't move. So like cause That's true. I mean it'd be easy to do the ventriloquism if it's not doesn't have a moving mouth. That's true. I don't know. Okay. Anyway. That's just wow. Would, would Jesus have been a ventriloquist? Maybe, uh that's probably not the best form of communication. No. I don't know. Can the Sermon on the Mount through through a make, dummy? Make the people's <laughs> angry and Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's it's interesting though. This article just I, I will get us back on topic. I'm sorry. No, but I will say um, I will say this that for some reason I've noticed this that that I think ventriloquists they only really exist. Um, for like the weird TV talent shows, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in like the stand-up kind of yeah. area of that, or the Tonight um, Show, yeah, yeah, those kind of those kind of situations. Um, I'm assuming at circus type things, maybe, but, but again, churches. Yeah, that's true. Vacation Bible School. Yes, they. Yeah. No, 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 I'm not not just saying puppets. I'm actually saying is like people that are very ventriloquist, and um, it was the oh gosh, what is it the the footprints in the sand. You know, oh, that, yeah. that famous... The poster or whatever. It's a poem, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was at... This is years ago, but we were at a church, and the guy and his wife tour, and he, they also do ventriloquism. Well, she's kind of his assistant. Wow. Well, but her claim to fame is doing the footprint. What? I don't even know what it's called. While drinking water? Does he read the footprints while drinking no, water? No, 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 no. That's not part of it, but that's, like, part of her attraction okay. um, to doing that. Yeah, like... I couldn't even really quote any. I was going to try to have some sort of like a snarky quote from it, but I can't even remember because it's just, it's so deep and dear to my heart. If I was yeah. to recite it at all, I would break down in tears. Mm-hmm. But, not, not but yeah, um, sarcasm. So the, <laughs> uh, in this article, it just makes me think of um, H.R. Niebuhr's Kingdom of God in America. It, he writes about this, his sort of what he sees like as the progression of these movements in Christianity that, you know, take Luther, for example, you have someone who is moved, who has this very deep religious experience with God and then is moved to do something. And people are, you know, vitalized around that person and they all are, you know, making change and doing things. And as time moves on and you get more and more removed from that person, he calls it, I think he calls it like crystallization. It, mm. The the movement sort of settles within... You it know, becomes like a monument. Yeah, yes. I mean, I mean yeah, literally. Or and, the movement becomes and a monument. And metaphorically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, you get like buildings and statues and books or whatever. And it just sort of the inertia of or the weight of those things, it weighs the movement down and then it's different than it was. And then, you know, I mean, he... I don't know. I can't remember if he goes all the way back to Jesus, but um, yeah, I think there is sort of that idea that the further away you get from that experience, it's it's hard to live into it in your own way. And at least I, I know that Niebuhr was at least somewhat uh, 
influenced by Kierkegaard, but that's one thing I really appreciate about Kierkegaard is he he understood that it's you know I mean yes there are all these other things of of you know the language we use and what we do and and sort of the logic of our our world around us and I'm not saying it's just the individual's experience but it's extremely important what kind of what we do with or how we experience these things mm-hmm. um and anyway that uh, that's kind of what I'm I'm hearing in this that you know that we've gotten so far away from kind of that moment in time that Jesus, you know, might look around if he were to come and he would be very confused as to what's going on. Well, what's interesting is, I mean, and I don't know if this is obvious for everybody, but pretty much, and every, or I would say most, if I don't want to sound too hyperbolic, but most denominations were were founded by somebody having some sort of experience mm-hmm. or disagreement, you know, but but something that they felt that God was feeling them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, they establish, a, you know, we have a system that gets established and then the bureaucracy happens and everything becomes weighed down. And, um, because w- what's interesting is I-, I always feel like once you get hung up, I mean, even, like you can think of like the Methodists, you can think of the Lutherans, you know, like, like something happens and that kind of is like their, their, I don't know where they stuck the flag in the sand and then they mm-hmm. just kind of camp there. They don't keep moving. You know what I mean? I mean, some, sometimes it doesn't happen. That Sometimes, like, history can end up hampering, I think, people experiencing God now. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, or I guess historic institutions, maybe, is, is more accurate. But that, my, my bigger question um, is something I've kind of been wrestling through with that, because it's easy. Like, that's one of the, I feel like it's, it's a thing that gets said a lot around, uh, like, Christian circles. Like, oh, we just want to be like the early church. You know what I mean? Like, we just want to be like, we want to be like a church that's just like it was in, in the book of Acts. Yeah. You know, everything else like that, too, to where, oh, okay, so are you speaking culturally? Are you speaking, you know, how are we talking? Like, are we going to be like absolutely literally like they were? I mean, but it ends up being kind of, that's like a buzz phrase that, that people use. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm not saying that we have to completely go back there and erase like the history that's happened between there and now. Mm-hmm. Um, my question really that I wrestle with, and, and I was just curious what you would say about this, what, what do we, like, when you're wrestling through these things, like, what, you know, what do you hold on to and what do you let go of? Yeah, I, I, I like that you, I was going to say, I think a charitable way of sort of saying the other side of this is that, you know, we do, I mean, the world does change and we, we need to hear God now. And yeah. not not just you know keep pining. I mean that's what we criticize this so often on the show that people pine for this era that never necessarily existed. And yet every time a church says, "Well, this is the way that Jesus would have done it," mm-hmm. and then sets up some new way of doing it, uh, you know, is that not just as foolish as you know, sort of criticizing the the things that are already here? Um, well, or it ends up just being a reaction to some other thing that was going on. Right. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And not necessarily like, oh, um, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anti-reforming things, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I do think that we can end up, yeah, idolizing certain periods or certain times or certain individuals. But and I'm not sure that uh, maybe some Protestants don't know that, I mean, the Catholic Church was reforming even without Luther. I mean, there were other reformations that happened and there was a Catholic reformation at the, around the same time as the Protestant reformation. So. Mm. It's not like people weren't trying to fix things going on in the. I don't know. We should, I think at least in the churches 
in which I grew up, I saw or I was taught that the the Reformation was a necessity because the Catholic Church was so greedy, and you sort of see the Catholics as like Chaucer, what how Chaucer wrote about the Catholics, where <laughs> you know everything's corrupt and greedy, and everyone's out for and themselves. there's always a eunuch involved. Yes, and the Chaucer. eunuch is running around um, eating honey, but I. <laughs> I feel like, uh, I mean, I, it was it was helpful to actually learn the history of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that there there was a Catholic Reformation, and again, I, I just think it can be very easy to kind of buy into these very superficial descriptions of you know, well, the early church was this. I mean, yeah. we could we could kind of go back to the biblical literas- literalism episode and say, I, th- I think a lot of people do. They open up their Bibles and they say, well. You know, the Acts Church doesn't look like the church now. It looks like the one that I'm dreaming about right now. So that's what we're going to yeah. do. Um, but I mean, you know, that's not necessarily being faithful to. Uh, I just think there you're skipping a step of humility mm, in, in yeah. kind of setting things, you know, just another church um, that's going to that people are supposed to follow. No, I'm with you there. I mean, and, and that that's the hard thing. I mean, because again, I mean, it's this is like an you know that that we stand on the shoulders of those that have come before us, and you know, so I think that for us to be able to go through and trash church history, um, and then just simply just go back to the beginning, um, you're you're going to lose a lot of voices that I think can help to inform things, um, especially about what's even going on now. Uh, because, you know, it does, one, you know, if we're even trying to hop all the way back into getting into the mindset of what it was like in the early church, I mean, it, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We can, like, I mean, I've read plenty of books about, you know, the cultural history, what was going on back then, everything else like that, too. But still, like, um, you know, how does that fit into 2016, uh, where we're living in a place that is very materialistic and capitalistic and everything else? Not that those things, certain aspects of those things didn't exist back then. Um, but it is different. And so I think that, you know, even for us to be, to see the progression of how it's gone, even if I don't agree with all of the progression for how it's gone, um, I still think that there, there are lessons to learn in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, there it's, it's ironic. There's kind of a hypocrisy at the heart of, I'm sure that you've experienced this in your ministerial background. But I know even trying to be like a youth, uh, it wasn't even a youth pastor. I was, for one summer during college, I was going to work at a Baptist church near my hometown. Um, That's for most college kids. Yeah, it that's, was just... No, I'm kidding. Keep going. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, that's not... Like, you should hit the sarcasm. <laughs> I, I needed that one. You should have hit it. Um, but it it was a Baptist church and it was some sort of like youth pastor position, but like associate for the summer. And anyway, I had to sit before like eight different people that were like heads or whatever in this Baptist church and sort of affirm Baptist thought and affirm Baptist Mm. history. And it was so important because I had gone to a Methodist church and they were horrified that I was going to spread all this, you know... (laughs) evil <laughs> doctrine to their people, um, to at, their kids. And they probably, were they paying you at all or was it like minimum wage? No, uh, yeah, it was minimum wage. Okay. It was, it's a high, it's a high bar. Right. Exactly. For low pay, which is pretty much all church work. 
But it's just interesting because, I mean, I, you know, and I'm not saying every single Baptist church in the world does this, but the Baptist churches in, in which I grew up and was raised tended to think of Catholicism as this sort of hegemonic, like, you know, it was, you, you only learn the Catholic history and that's all there is. And the bright shining beacon of the Protestant Reformation was that we got to think for ourselves. And here I am in this boardroom having to like parrot a bunch of Baptist mm-hmm. history and doctrine and things like that. Um, so I just found it ironic. Uh, and I, th- I think part of that was why when I did become a pastor in college ministry and I saw that we, you know, we had people from all sorts of different backgrounds um, within the, the church, you know, I mean, we had Catholic uh, people from Catholic backgrounds, from different Protestant backgrounds, and also from non-Christian backgrounds that it was more helpful to be affirming of people's traditions than to be whatever the opposite of affirming. Yeah, tearing them negating. down or bashing them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, I feel like especially within within the church, it's it's helpful to kind of affirm people's traditions because that's the logic within which they were raised. Mm-hmm. And unless they were just, you know, hurt and decimated by that, that tradition, things are going to make sense within that logic, within that language. So it's, I don't know, all that to say, I think it's, it's more helpful for us to learn our history, um, to learn, you know, our, our history, kind of a capital O, uh, Catholic Church, capital C, um, as a church, than to sort of go with the lowercase histories. Are, are Christians the only ones that do that, what you just did? What, capitalize something to make it universal? You know, like, yeah, but use it in, like, common language. No, no, I don't mean, like, like grammatically. I'm saying is, you've heard people talk about, like, in normal conversation. We're talking about big C church here, not little C church. <laughs> big C church. Yeah. You know, something like, big you know what I mean? Like, Buddhism. Yeah. Little <laughs> yeah, you don't, Buddhism. you don't have, yeah, you don't hear that in other ones. I don't know. <laughs> you know, where there's, <laughs> Maybe there's, they have other there's somehow, Maybe. Um, yeah. No, but even speaking, well, speaking that, this is still kind of, I don't even know how much on the point it is, but no, but like with being able to, to respect other traditions, um, I, this is when I was younger, but I was part of, I remember um, it was, again, we both grew up Baptist, but um, the church I was in, they were teaching us how to evangelize. And I knew people in the church that would target Methodist because yeah. Baptists didn't think that they really knew the Bible or anything else, or, or ultimately, since they bab, well, let's see, the Methodists would refer to this as baptizing babies, right? And since you baptize babies, like we need to go and we need to get these Methodists, con- you know, converted. We need to, they need to have a come to Jesus moment, right? And so, and a lot of that had to do also with the fact that one, I think, with not, without uh, understanding other traditions, to where even though I know the Methodists would use the term baptism, it's still more like a christening mm-hmm. or a baby dedication. You know, it's, so it's, it's like kind of a confirmation. That yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Well, it's kind of affirming like the call, you know, the God's grace that's over the child's life, mm-hmm. but it isn't simply that somehow that the salvation happened when the, does that make sense? Like in the yeah. water because Baptists are very distrustful of anything that remotely seems Catholic. Right. They're kind of like the, I don't know, like, it, I feel like it's like on the religious spectrum, you have like, I don't know, like the witchcraft uh, and the occult on one side, but the Catholics aren't far, far off. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. even in that, um, in, in that mindset that people are into, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, yeah, they're not, not the most ecumenical group. But, uh, if I'm speaking in large. Right. You know, overgeneralizing. 
but I, I just feel like as a, I don't know, at least in, in my experience, it's helpful to respect the history that's there and to use that to inform the present rather than trying to jump back backwards in time over that history and somehow recreate the original church now. Uh, and well, I mean, and, and, you know, again, we have the whole overused phrase, you know, history repeats itself. But I think that like a lot of the struggles that we have today, I think you can find context for those situations when you begin to look over the history, um, especially when you're talking a history that's spanning 2000 years. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it may not be like the exact situation, but there's, there's similarities that people have wrestled through. There's conversations that have already happened before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not talking in a metaphysical sense. I'm talking like literally, you know what I mean? Like the, the idea that somehow that, uh, like what you're saying is that you're at a point in history and you can figure out all this stuff um, that no one's tried before. Mm-hmm. No one's thought of before. Right. I mean, it's, it, it comes from a, a place of grand arrogance. Mm-hmm. And and I think, but again, I think that you know when we're talking about somewhat what's wrong with the American church, I think that that there is a a whole thing of grand arrogance, um, in a lot of the denominations and a lot of the pastors that are out there towards what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so which again, I think it it gets caught up in the whole like American success system that the church very much mirrors today. And I'm I'm going to say something that will probably be very controversial. So oh, please, please, please feel feel free. We might actually have our first like all out argument here on the air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think one thing that I kind of going along with what you're just saying, um, I think there's an arrogance in 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 this article. It's this is one of the things that I bristle against with certain newer church movements. This all out sort of attack on the idea of doctrine. Yeah. And I I guess part of, I think there's an arrogance of thinking, you know, just like you were just saying where, you know, I'm going to do something that no one else has ever done before where I'm kind of recreating the original church that somehow you can live without beliefs that somehow you can live without some sort of doctrine governing over you. And Really, I, I feel like a lot of times the doctrine just reflects kind of the the world we're living in now. Mm. And I just feel like there's an arrogance of reaching beyond these ancient contexts and traditions that have been passed down from generation to, to generation and saying, well, you know, we're going to live outside of those things now. It's more about what we're doing and not about what's in our in our brains or, you know, our beliefs. But I, I don't know. To me, that's almost kind of the other side of arrogance, that that stuff isn't still functioning in some way. So what am I going to argue with you about? I don't know. I, just, <laughs> I didn't know if you would agree with me on that one or not. No, I mean, I think... The that, importance of doctrine or the I, I th- importance I think of that, beliefs. I do. I, th- I think there's an importance to it, but I think, you know, at, at any time, I think we have to wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. You know what I mean? I think that we can... I, and I think that there's times for us to challenge stuff because, you know, depending upon... Uh, doctrine gets thrown around a lot, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I mean, it could, a lot of times doctrine can be a set of beliefs. Um, it could be a set of values depending upon, you know, the denomination or how the church is set up. And, you know, I think that certain things, you know, certain doctrines are certain things that get established or put into place, you know, cause I remember, I mean, we were picking on the Baptist today cause it's, 
it's low hanging fruit. Um, Especially for us. Yeah, I know. You know, but like there was like the Bab, uh, what was like the Baptist, uh, it was something like the faith message. It was like, it was around 2000 when they came out with this. And I remember it was a few years back when I was looking for jobs, like I kept seeing that uh, over and over again. Like you must affirm the Bab, well, I, I can look it up later, um, you know, affirm this doctrine. You know, mm-hmm. to even be like, to even like, that was one of the main things like that was like on this, uh, you know, to apply to this. And it's not like it happened once. It was over and over and over and over again. I would see this, mm-hmm. um, which also led me to say, why am I looking at Baptist churches anymore? Because <laughs> um, it was, I mean, because there was, there was a lot of language and a lot of wording in this, this whole thing that they had. And they were holding it as if it's doctrine. You know, they were holding it. It, it was this thing that, that was, you needed to engrave it in stone tablets because mm-hmm. it was that good. Right. And when you read through it, there was a lot of language in it that I would be like, you know, I would love to have a conversation with you folks about this because some of this I thoroughly disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that there are certain things that that have stood the test. I mean, you can think of like the Apostles' Creed, um, you know, things that that have kind of like, you know, because I feel like there's been doctrine or there's been statements, all and they come and go, mm-hmm. um, and they'll change, you know, with whichever tribe you're hanging out with. But I think that there's certain ones, and and some of the things like w- when I go back to, <clears throat> excuse me, when I go back to the Apostles' Creed, you look at it, and it's simple. Mm-hmm. And it's basic, you know, and I, and I think things like that are, are why it stood the test of time, because you can breathe life into it. You can breathe context into it. You can breathe situations into it. And if you've ever gone over like a lot of different doctrine for different denominations, they get very specific. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they get very, very specific real fast, which also tells you they're writing this because they're mad about this or because they're trying to confront this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think what that begins to do, and I think because, again, if you've hung around churches for any time, you, the doctrine can become a weapon mm-hmm. that they use to say you're in and you're not. Um, it's like a measuring stick. Um, yeah, somewhat. And so I think a lot of times, I think that we have to be able to leave certain things up. I mean, because there was things that Jesus was specific about, uh, but there's things that Jesus was ambiguous about. Mm-hmm. You know? And things that Jesus pushed against mm-hmm. and, and sort of transgressed or stepped across. And so I think some of it, I mean, I think that, again, you know, you see what it began. If we like, even want to talk about the Jewish tradition, what began as like the Ten Commandments, you know, then there's more commandments and more commandments and more commandments. And you get to the time of Jesus where they have, they have like a rule for everything, you know, that you can think of. And so, again, these doctrines or other things can become something that, that is just a weight upon people um, or, or ones that you create doctrines that keep people out. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that, that one, um, I think when we get really specific with doctrines in these manners, I think we're doing it because we don't trust people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're having to spell it out exactly. We don't trust for you to be able to walk your faith out in a way that uh, is with God and in a way that um, that honors your own humanity and your own intelligence, uh, because it's it ends up being a control structure, and that's and I think that's what a lot of the bureau the you know the bureaucratic institutions of a lot of the churches they become control structures, and and I think that that's why a lot of times when people think of God, they think of a God that is very controlling and rule based and very much not for them. And here I was thinking we were going to disagree. I'm sorry, I disappointed you. Yeah. Um, Are we ever going to have a fight on here? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's both of our personalities, too. <laughs> no, I, I really I, I agree with everything you said. I thought that was stated in a really good way. And I'd, 
I, I always liked the idea of doctrine as something you live into instead of living under. Yeah, and well, that's something, a good way of putting it. Something that you're excited about and not fearful of. Um, and I, you know, I know that there. I think there are new conceptions of doctrine where people are trying to like keep the doctrine there, but they're saying, yeah, but they're movable and things like that. But I, I like to think of it more as it's that's kind of the space within which you. I like you said like breathe or live. That's the space within which you kind of grow. Um, because, you know, I mean, we're not like boundless creatures that are going to be able to be everywhere and do everything. Yeah. So it just, it, it sort of gives you, it's like fertile ground for you to be able to like plant your roots and then grow and, and flourish. Mm-hmm. Well, and with that, because I, I think that a lot of times what, what begins to happen is if the doctrine that you have is impeding um, justice or is impeding mission, um, I think you have to question it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, you know, if, if it's impeding the things that Christ had told you to do, um, if it's impeding you in the way that you reach out to help others, if it's impeding how you serve people, if it's impeding which people you're allowed to serve and which people you're not allowed to serve, you know, I think that then you, be, you begin to question it. Um, because I think most doctrine, because, you know, and, and people will, or in churches, they will back it with scripture mm-hmm. because that's the way we do it. Right. Um, and, but I think a lot of times it's a lot of scripture that's not in context. And I think there are things that become weights on people as they are trying to go out and do mission. Uh, because, you know, one of the issues I think a lot of folks have, and, and this is why, why, we, why we return to this. When you look back um, at the early church, they were very, they were very light. Uh, there was no hierarchy. They, um, there was not a huge structure to the whole thing. Um, but because of that lightness, because of that lack of hierarchy, it was able to move in a way, it was able to reach out to people in a way where all of this bureaucracy, all of this doctor, you know, all these other things didn't impede it from, from moving. And, and so I think what begins to happen is when we, when we set up institutions, I think it slows movement. Um, and I think once you've slowed the movement, it's become, like we said earlier, it's just become a monument. And you've just effectively killed whatever the heart um, heart of the gospel was. Yeah, it can certainly. I mean, it, it can be a signpost or it can be a distraction. Yeah, I think uh, because I, I mean, you know, I like I like cathedrals, I like um, you know religious art and and those sorts of things. But I think part of it is because it does remind me of you know how much more there is, and it's it's something that I've always thought of art as something that kind of moves you or, or pushes you in a direction. It's, it's more than just your brain sort of processing. It's, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of art on the show and there's art that sort of tells you what to think or tells you what to do. And then there's art that moves you. And I I think beauty is at the heart of that sort of art. And I think, you know, some of these things throughout Christian history have been things that have moved people and inspired Mm -hmm. and, and pushed and challenged. And then, you know, some things are just giant, kind of stagnant, um, static things that are, it's more of a distraction. It's more of a, you know, it's less about fluidity and more about, uh, or less about movement and more about just sort of sitting still. Well, and, and even, well, two things, I mean, from what, <laughs> which is interesting. So going back to when we started on talking about horror films and Christian films being way too on the nose, you know, I think the idea of inspiration, inspiration comes when you don't explain everything when you let people experience it for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can't control people's experience. I mean, I think people try to, especially on Sunday mornings, they'll try to control your experience. But I think, you know, how art impacts you 
is the fact that you read into it what you need to read into it. You know, there's, there's, there's history that you would see in it. There's experiences you would see in it that I wouldn't see. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So your inspiration would be different than my inspiration, but that doesn't make uh, that inspiration not real. Right. If that makes sense. When it, well, um, it's like the different parts of the body that Paul talked about. I mean, I think that in and of itself gives at least some credence to the fact that people are going to experience different things in different places. Yeah. And that's that in and of itself doesn't disqualify you from being part of the body. You mm-hmm. know, the hand is not going to experience the same thing as the foot, but you know, it, it, at the same time, it shouldn't say, why am I a foot? Why can't I be a hand? It also, it also shouldn't say, you know, well, the hand's not part of the body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and with that, but what I will say, um, the only one thing, and I'm not, this, this is as close to disagreement as we're going to come to because it's not even really one. Um, but you were talking about being inspired by cathedrals. I love them as well too. But to think about what it would, like if someone were to offer me a cathedral to do a church in, Mm-hmm. I would say no. Mm-hmm. And I would say no. You would take the field. Huh? You would take the field or the. Well, I mean, that's for me it would be, I mean, the idea, and we're talking about what are the things that are impediments um, to, to Christianity and church today. I mean, one of the quickest ways to kill a movement is to build a building that you have to pay for. Mm, you know what I mean? True. I mean, the upkeep on the, I mean, which is, which, hey, we, I, I, we were joking about this. I think it was on that previous show where I was joking about just the whole, the money and the wealth of the Catholic church and everything else like that too. But one benefit is it gets to keep those cathedrals going. And, mm-hmm. you know, but the quick, yeah, but, but when we look at, if you want to look at the early church, you know, it was very, like I said earlier, it was fluid. Um, there weren't all those constraints. And once you have a building, once you have to pay insurance on that, but you know, once you have upkeep on this, then, then you have to turn this into a business somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I mean, and that ends up being the necessity for a lot of churches to be a business. Now they would say they're not a business; they're five hundred one c three nonprofit, but they function simply just like a business. They do not function like a movement anymore. Yeah, and I, I realize as soon as I, you started describing that, there, especially in the United States, gigantic buildings that I think are considered to be supposed to be monuments to God's greatness that I think are just disgusting and ugly and. I think it's more monuments to people's own greatness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I definitely, I don't think just, you know, the, for the sake of it being a big building, but again, that I think, I think it can serve different, it can, it can serve that purpose of sort of pointing towards God and, and oh, pointing yeah. towards this sort of gigantic story that there's way more going on than I think our little brains tend to realize uh, most of the time. But it also, can be, you know, very, very small in that way. Mm. That all this does is reflect this one person yeah. and their success. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that one, that there's also, I think we need to not just idealize it and say, you know, this is a building and it's beautiful and, and it's a signpost to God's kingdom, but also to say, well, how many people died building this? Um, you know, how many people could be eating... <laughs> Right now, because this thing is still, the lights are still on in this place. Way to be a Debbie Downer. Wah, wah. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> though I was thinking along those lines as well. As well. And I'll, I also think, uh, you know, in, in hearing you describe that, I think it's also important to point out that people, I think, need different things from different positions. That's one thing I really appreciate about Walter Brueggemann is he, you know, that he doesn't, he doesn't want to say that every single voice in the Old Testament or in the Bible 
is sort of speaking from the same like position in life. And especially you look at the Psalms. I mean, some Psalms, people need certain Psalms depending on where they are. Um, and I, th- I think, again, that affirms the different parts in the body. And we need to appreciate that, you know, there are people going through different things. And just because one thing doesn't speak to me in a certain way right now doesn't mean that I won't need, you know, that later on, maybe I'm at a lower point in life. Or mm. there are some people who live low points for most, if not all of their lives, and they need, you know, certain words spoken to them. Um, and just to real realize that, you know, our perspective and kind of our position in the world is not the position in the world. So real quick, we started off by talking about, um, and these are kind of going to roll into closing thoughts. Uh, we started out talking about how the, well, I mean, if you look at any like religion, you end up starting in one way and then years later it's in this other place. So free for all, Ben, I would, I just want to know, and again, I know we're speaking in overarching terms here. We're throwing blankets over everything just for the sake of brevity and for the sake of, yeah, not, not I'm not, I'm trying to get you to think too deep. Um, because I, I know you do. You, you'll, you'll just you'll get the shovel out and start going to town. But um, no, no. But again, and, you know, being able to look at this in light of not saying like, oh, we just have to just be like the first century church or we have to just be like, I don't know, whatever tradition we're in. What like when we talk about the, the fact that Jesus would probably um, not be accepted or welcomed into the modern day American Christian churches. uh what would you change or what do you think is needed to get things closer to mission, to being on mission? If that is, I don't know. Does that make sense? Um, I, I guess my kind of first principles are always just wondering what we're missing. Hmm. And I think Jesus was so keen on that. And that's, that's really one of the great, um, I guess, points of his excellence in in ministry in the world is he was just so great at noticing things. Um, And then, you know, not just sort of like sitting up on a tree in a tree or something like, Oh, look at that. Um, But, you know, then going and and being a part of it and um, kind of making that his life. uh, And part part of that's probably my own bias, but I, I think that's something that people just consideration and then what you do with that consideration, mm-hmm. I think are, kind of the the starting points to where we might be able to move closer to what Jesus was doing. Yeah, for me, I think it would just be us eradicating this whole idea of kind of a rock star mentality. Um, and I don't mean it strictly, because I know it's easy to say rock star mentality with mega churches, but I, I think just the, the whole hierarchy mentality to how we look at stuff to where um, somehow clergy, somehow pastors are, are above other folks. Or they're the point. Um, yeah, or the, you're right, the focal point, or even being a little bit above, because everyone gets, like, shocked, and when someone has a moral failing, uh, it, people have moral failings because they're people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It wasn't simply that, oh, he's a pastor, he should have known better. No, he was a human. He had struggles, he has emotions, he has stuff going on with him. You know what I mean? And in the role of being a pastor, it's a very isolating one. So especially all of that kind of going into stuff, it's going to cause people to stumble. But um, I would, I would love for me, I would love to see the money that churches have go into people and not buildings, not administrative costs, and not into all this other stuff. 
You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, 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 I would love to be able to just take the, the whole, just gut it structure wise, mm-hmm. um, not mission wise, but structure wise, because I do, I think, I think once all of that stuff gets slowed down, I think it ends up becoming something it's not meant to be. Um, what God didn't mean for us to make the top 10 bestsellers list. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Those are, I mean, and, and that being a goal. Yeah. Those, those kind of things too. I mean, I know we joke about that all the time, but, um, but I do, I I think, I think our goals and our trajectory, um, what I would like to, I guess, ultimately what I'm trying to say is I I think that we should rejigger, um, in our minds, what success is, um, in the Christian context. Because I think, by and large, we don't have a friggin' clue. Mm-hmm. And friggin' was a nice, my nice way of my nice radio way of saying that. Because um, I, yeah. I don't. If Jesus subverted anything, it was success. That's for sure. Well, it is because I think, like in in lots of churches, in in a certain way, yeah, we're just driven by the pastor. We're driven by all these. Other, like I think the reason people go to church a lot of times, I think that we've we've just turned we've. We've turned everything very inward, but again, it, that mirrors culture. But I, I would, I, yeah, I just think that, I think it needs to go back to just being simple, being light, um, and being about people, um, and not in, in a way, an internal way, because again, I think Jesus wanted to change the world, um, wanted to change the way people were, wanted to ch- uh, usher in this whole idea of what God's kingdom looked like. And I think when we look around at the churches around here in our communities, I don't think that we're going to like, mm, yeah. Mission accomplished, you know, like George Bush style. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't see that. No church left behind. <laughs> that, that's such a packed statement you had there. Um, yeah, I mean, but um, but yeah, I, I do. I think that uh, that you have to be able to say just what you know. God's mission trumps everything else. Yeah, and I would kind of wrap in what I said with what you said. Just that you know, being considerate or considering kind of the unconsidered things, seeing the unseen yeah. things that that is looking outside of your church or your yeah. comfort zone or looking outside of your little rock star circle that you built. Cause I will tell you, and you've known this working for churches in the past, 95% of the work that you do ends up really being to making the machine go. Oh yeah. You know, I mean like Same. actual time noticing, like you're saying, just noticing um, and actual time really investing deep in people, mm, not so much. Yeah. And so anytime that you've got like a, yeah, 95 uh, to 5 ratio, things are a little off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll leave it on that. And for you, uh, our dear listeners, uh, give us feedback. What would you change? How would you make it different? Uh, what would you fix? Uh, what would you keep? I don't know. Uh, we love hearing from you. And uh, yeah, one of our, we love hearing from our buddy, Rick. Um, who has, uh, who's emailed us recently. Want to tell him, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for being awesome, Rick. But, uh, as we get to the end of this broadcast, just a reminder that you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. We are also on Facebook. We are also on Twitter. Uh, that is all we got this week, but thank you so much for joining us again. And we will catch you again next week. We're out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Aqueduct Conference Center was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen. 
a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.